listening to Syntax, the podcast with the tastiest web development treats out there. Strap yourself in and get ready. Here is Scott Talensky and Wes Boss. Welcome to Syntax. This is a podcast about web development with tasty treats. I thought I would mix it up there a little bit. We say sometimes we say the same thing every day, every single time. (laughs) We are doing a potluck episode today, which means that you bring the question. Scott and I will cook it. No, you don't cook. No, yeah. No, we just present it. We just put it on the table. We bring the plates. We bring the napkins and the forks and we present it. Yeah, we have we're going to cover all kinds of fun stuff. We've got questions about a couple of questions about freelancing, CSS reset, uh, too much Flexbox, NPM dependencies and being out of date. Lots of interesting stuff. Today, we are sponsored by Sanity, which is a structured content CMS. It's the back end to your headless front end and Netlify, which is actually going to host your uh, your website specifically is really good at hosting headless websites. So. Uh, welcome, Scott. How are you doing today? I'm doing very good. I'm just, uh, you know, fresh, ready to go. Ready. I'm releasing a course today. Today is uh, or September 30th. I'm also, I'm getting my first iPhone today, which is kind of wild. Uh, I was sort of like a never iPhone person, but their their video features and then that iPhone Pro, whatever, they got me. They got me. They got me with a 4K video and three cameras. That camera, like we we have the stars at our cottage. There's stars there. You can see them. And uh, we oh, you always try to take a picture of them. But like it looks like garbage. You can't actually take a picture of them. And uh, it's sort of like fireworks where it, there's like kind of like three things you should never post on on Instagram. It's no one cares about like the, the band that you saw live, <laughs> your, your Instagram. No one cares about your fireworks. And the other thing is like stars, your stars photos aren't very good because no one can see them. Unless you have a Pixel phone, then they're good. I've never tried that either. And I can't wait to take photos of the stars. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to iPhone family. I'm glad that you're you're finally switching over to the good side. We'll see. I'll give it 15 days. And if I hate iOS as much as I hate it currently, then... Yeah, you won't. I, w- <laughs> I really don't like it, man. Why do you got to put everything in a folder? Like, or like, why do all your apps got to be on the home screen? Why can't you have a nice, clean... It's not good for minimalists, which is kind of surprising because that's. Uh, Wait, what do you want to do with apps? Where do you want to put them if they're not on your in home Android, screen? Android, they're in a drawer and you swipe up and you get all your apps and then you can put the ones you want on your your home screen. It's like your apps folder. You can do folders in iOS. Yeah, but by so in an I, iOS, the all the apps live on the home screen. And if and if you oh, yeah. were Android, they all live in the drawer and then you can put the ones on the home screen that you want on the home screen rather than having just all of them on there. So uh, I see it's not that's not the beef I have with it. But that is one of the things I mean. I'm also really not looking forward to Siri over like Google Assistant is so much. No, Siri sucks. So yeah. Much. So uh, we'll see. I don't know. Who knows? Uh, you check back in with me 15 days and we'll find out if I have returned it or not. <laughs> It has Scott returned his iPhone yet. <laughs> Maybe I'll make a little Netlify site for that. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's jump into some of these questions that we have here. Thank you so much to everybody who has sent in their question. We ask you, please send us your potluck questions. Go to syntax.fm in the internet. And in the top right-hand corner, it says, ask a potluck question. And that will link you off to a little form where you can fill it out and fill out your question. Yeah. First question is from Cam. I'm interested in freelancing full time and have some projects big and small lined up over the next few months to work on the side. 
how much work do you think is a good amount of work to transition into full-time freelancing? It's an interesting question. It's sort of like the question of like, how how do I how do I know that I have enough JavaScript mm-hmm. skills to apply for a job? Or and this question is, how do I know that I have enough work lined up? And we've talked many times about the boat. Let's talk about the boat here real quick again. <laughs> so um, when you are making the jump to freelancing full time, you have to make sure that the ship is close enough to the dock where you can jump off. Right. It, it You don't have to wait until everything is perfectly tied down and, and whatnot, because that will probably never happen. But as long as the ship is close enough to the dock where you think you can make a jump and somewhat safely make it across, that's where you that's where you want to be. So how do you know where you are with with freelancing and, and how do you know when you can make that? For me, it was I was actually just working co-ops at the time, making minimum wage or or 20 bucks an hour. And uh, I was making much more money in <laughs> as a, like a freelancer in the part time. So I think like when you feel like you've got um, some really good stuff lined up. Like when you feel like you are feeling a little bit overwhelmed with your freelancing, that means that you're doing a good job. And the, and as soon as you go full time, there's like most, I think most people don't want to work with a freelancer who has another job because you're lower priority. Uh, and as soon as you open yourself up to, I'm now full time, you can have calls during the day. You can send emails at any given time. Then you'll, you'll start to go. So how much I think like once you've consistently got a couple months of consistent part-time freelancing, then I think you're in a good spot. Totally. Yeah. And and to your point about the boat, I love the boat. (laughs) (laughs) I also have here as a note that also, you know, know if you can get wet, right? Maybe you're holding your, you know, your precious heirloom that can't get wet or holding your baby or something. And you're, (laughs) you're stepping from one boat to the dock you cannot get wet. You don't want to fall in the water. But let's say the, you know, the the real side of that metaphor would be you have a family, you have bills, you have a mortgage, you have financial responsibilities, and you don't have a safety net of savings built up to what happens if you don't end up having that, that support. And so in some cases, depending on how many responsibilities you have, you cannot get wet and you have to make sure those are really close so you can do that nice little, you know, easy transition. But maybe you're, you know, young, you have an apartment, maybe you have enough cash saved up for several months of rent, rent's cheap, or maybe you're living with your parents, or maybe you just don't have those financial burdens, or you do have a large enough savings backed up that you don't necessarily have to worry about it. Maybe you can take the jump a little bit sooner and get onto the dock a little bit quicker with the knowledge that you could get wet, fall in, and have to go crawling back to a job just to make your next bill. So by all means, there is that aspect of things too. You can you can make a, a riskier jump, but again, it's all risk versus reward and whether or not you know that you can do that. I've always sort of erred on the side of caution for most things like that. And I never made the the jump to full lance or full time full lance. That's what they should call it. Full time freelance myself. Full, full lance. Yeah. <laughs> full stack freelance. No, but um I never made that jump myself. But ever since quitting my job and running a business full time, you have to know that there is these tremendous peaks and valleys of income versus non-income where you have to uh, balance it out. Unlike a job where you have a paycheck coming in, there's a lot of different responsibilities that come into play when you're uh, supporting yourself rather than working for a company who's paying you to do that. It can get real tough. So just keep in mind that you have all of those things as well. 
One more thing I've got to add there. And sometimes what you can do is you can either ask your like your employer will may, maybe say, like, look, can we take three days a week of your time? Or I've, I've, I've found many clients in the past who who want just a, like they want to reserve me for a couple days a week. Um, mm-hmm. And those are great clients because then you still are freelancing, but you have that sort of like safety net. And, and for those clients, you offer a reduced rate because they guarantee you that money. It's sometimes called a retainer or just like a, I don't know, like a, they call it just a contractor that's on for a couple of days a week. And it depends on what your relationship is like with that company too. I worked at agencies where we had uh, people go out on their own to do freelance stuff. And immediately we're picking up work from their former agency. And it's almost like all of a sudden you're getting paid more to do the same work with the same company. But in the same regard, you're taking on all that risk and all that, uh, you know, they're only booking you for X amount of hours rather than a full steady time paycheck. So if your relationship's really good and you could say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about going full time freelance. I really want to do this. Um, if you have any work, please, you know, that you want to shoot out to me. And and if your relationship's really good, you could get a lot of great work from that agency. Okay. So next question is from our good, good listener, good listener, uh, Flexosaurus Rex. Uh, what's the ear status on dinosaurs? They just have little hole holes in the ears like birds, I guess that's, they don't, they don't have ears. Yeah. Are are dinosaurs known for being good hearers? Listeners? Do dino? Do dinosaurs have good listeners? Ears have ears. They do have ears. Birds not have ears. Do they have good ears? Do they have capable ears? Um, oh yeah, they have holes in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, probably not great. Probably not great. It's okay. They're dinosaurs. So Flexosaurus Rex, <laughs> Flexosaurus Rex asks, how much flexbox? is too much flex box. Is it a bad idea to use a dozen flex boxes for viewport filling application? And they added that RAR. I mean, I I had to embellish it a little bit, but they wrote RAR and there was a lot of R, so I felt like I would go for it. So, okay, Flexosaurus (laughs) Rex, how many flex boxes? I don't think there's too many flex boxes. If you've ever used React Native, you'll know that literally everything in layout for React Native is a flex container. So, uh, well, I mean, that's like the only way of doing layout really is the flex boxing. So I am of the mind that as long as it's not extraneous, I, like a flex within a flex within a flex, as long as it's not extraneous or unnecessary, then I don't think there's too much. That's the whole the whole key to that statement, though. It's like if you could be doing this with um, like a margin left auto or something stupid that's not a flex and then a whole bunch of additional properties, well, that's like just smart CSS. So I I don't think there's too much flexbox unless you're throwing in flexbox in places where it's not appropriate to do the same thing. I don't think it's going to cause you problems. I use flexbox all the time within flex within a flex to do containers. I usually end up going straight to grid, but grid and then flexbox where it's appropriate. But again, yeah, as long as you understand the like more or less complex CSS properties that could maybe uh, get you there without doing it, like text align and whatever, then, you know, go for it. Flex it up. Flex the source. Yeah, I, I think this question could probably be said for like how much Flexbox is too much Flexbox and how much grid is too much grid. How many cookies are too many cookies? Well, there's an answer to there that. Is. But right. uh, <laughs> I, I think like the Flexbox and grid are the layout tools of the web. So it's not bad to have them nested as far as the eye can see. Like a, uh, like any one of my websites might have 20, 30, 40 different 
Flexbox and grid layouts on the page because that is pretty much the only two ways to lay things out these days if you're not using floats and, and, and whatnot. So I think the only thing that you need to be careful about is things that trigger like reflow or re-render on the page. And because Flexbox is flexible, the whole like content changing, like if you have an image in a Flexbox and then that image loads, then that changes the width of the flex container. And then that will then trigger a change on the other items. Um, and sometimes that can trigger, I don't know, two or three paint repaints. Um, that can be a possible mm -hmm. issue. Mm -hmm. But in my experience, that's that's mostly just people saying like, oh, what about this problem with Flexbox? It's a major issue. And it's a bit of a chicken and the egg thing because like Flexbox can't solve that ahead of time if it doesn't know how big your content is. So you can solve that by, by setting widths and heights on your images if you like. But um, I wouldn't sweat it all that much. So yeah, go nuts on it. Go use it as much as you want. And also I think maybe just like understanding all of the ins and outs about the align, like Scott said, alignment properties of Flexbox. So where you're, you're nesting Flexbox, sometimes you can get away with just proper use, usement, usage Usage. of- Usement. Uh, I like usement, even though usement, it's not a word. Proper usement of the align and justify properties in Flexbox. Totally. Next question we have here is from definitely not Justin Trudeau. Can you explain the potential benefits of resetting CSS, whether it's necessary and in any circumstances, should you use the approach? So this is talking about those things, normalize CSS, CSS reset, where before you write any CSS, you apply some sort of like base CSS that will bring your browsers all in accordance. And so like, what's, what is the benefit of that? Well, all of the browsers start off on sort of an uneven playing field. Some of the fonts are a little bit bigger than others. Some of the padding is a little bit different than others. So if you just start coding a website, you're all starting from an uneven foundation. So what a CSS reset or CSS normalize will do, and the difference between the two is that the reset will bring everything back to zero, like all the font size and whatnot, and then you have to go put them back. Whereas a normalize will just make sure that all the browsers are starting from the same spot and leave those browser defaults in. So I personally use Normalize. Mm -hmm. I know most developers use Normalize now just because those are, are helpful to have all of the heading tags and all of the bold things set for you. Totally, yeah. So I use them every single project. It's not an old thing. They're continually updated for inconsistencies in newer things like Flexbox and, and video players and whatnot. So you should always use one, in my opinion, and I don't see any downside. And it's also not, this is a question I get a lot is, you don't have to update it. People are like, like what happens when a new normalize comes out? Um, and I personally, I just don't update it because then you're like, what if something changes and then you have to change your code? Yeah, at the end of the result is as long as your CSS looks good, right? There's no reason to update totally. it, right? You wrote your CSS to work with one particular version. And again, I, you know, I, you, you hit on everything there. I don't have anything to add to that. Uh, I use normalize myself. Uh, and that's, that is exactly why you would use reset. It's always the worst when you start a project and you haven't added reset and normalized yet. And then you have like yeah. the padding on the body and all sorts of funny stuff. You're like, <laughs> oh yeah, I gotta, I gotta add a reset or normalize here. Okay. Next question is from Steven Duval. And, uh, Steven says, first off, I love the show. You guys are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, I would love to hear an episode or a potluck segment on your shell, uh, not shell fish, but shell forward slash fish forward slash ZSH. 
configs, maybe explain the little tweaks you've made and why you've chosen to use the shell you do. Keep up the great work. Can't wait for the episodes to come. Thank you, Stephen. Uh, I use ZSH now. I was using Fish for a long time. And let me explain why I went I went from Bash to ZSH to Fish back to ZSH. Uh, and this was over the course of, you know, 15 years. So it's not like uh, these things happen quickly. But I've been using Fish for the past like five or six years. And I recently moved back to ZSH because I was getting tired of the differences between standard bash and uh standard zsh and fish fish has like very opinionated ways that wants you to do things which leads to not really allowing you to copy and paste a lot of scripts from different places if you find a script and you paste it into fish fish is going to complain a lot about the different syntax usage so it's not a one-to-one the exact same with uh, bash and zsh you never have to worry about that because they're all the same right or at least the things that you're copying and pasting typically from sites are going to work. Yeah, there's a couple little gotchas here there. We have to put quotes in a certain spot, but nothing that's ever been been too frustrating. And also, like you can still run bash scripts if it's like a separate like .sh file. You just have to put the little bin bash yep. thing at the top, and then it will run it as a bash instead. And like fish, where most of the things you paste in and try to go with, or even whatever type in from a, a blog post, you're going to have to augment, and you're going to have to understand how you're augmenting and why. That said, there were a lot of really great features I liked about fish, which was like the history and the auto completion stuff, which I have added in some capacity to ZSH now. I don't like it as much still, but it's definitely pretty good. I use iTerm 2 version 3, which is confusing in itself, uh, and it's awesome. And it works really well with some of the cool things that ZSH does. And I get that nice history. Let me pull up my ZSH config right now just to make sure I'm not missing any of the plugins or anything I'm using. I'm using the out-of-the-box Robbie Russell theme. And let's see if I'm using any plugins in particular. I'm not using a ton of stuff. I wanted to get this to, to be feature parity with Fish, and I just haven't had the time. The only thing I have in here in terms of plugins is I have a Git plugin. I have zsh-auto-suggestions, which gets me close-ish to the Fish functionality. And then I have a VS Code plugin. And then other than that, it's just aliases and the things that we talked about in our aliases episode. So now I, I don't really have a ton of modifications to ZSH outside of the, oh, my ZSH themes that, you know, you use the Robbie Russell one and uh, those plugins. But that's it for me. Yeah, I I use ZSH or ZSH um, <laughs> along with oh, my ZSH, uh, which is the best. I have a, a whole course. Let me plug that here. Plug it. Commandlinepoweruser.com. It's a free course. Basically shows you how to get like um, it set up on your computer, ZSH, themes, the actual terminal. Um, I use iTerm2 in that one, but I use Hyper now. It'll work the same way regardless of which terminal you use. And then I have a couple plugins with there. So I have Git, Node, NPM, brew and what those plugins will do is they'll give you better tab suggestions so if you hit no npm tab it will just list out what the possible options are same with git uh, often i'll forget the name of what something is and just hitting tab will suggest it for me and you can sort of tab through them and select which one you want i have a couple uh extract is a good one for for compressing and extracting you don't have the tar cz cz oh man 
I have that memorized, and now that I'm on the spot, I can't. See? That's why I don't have it memorized, because I can never remember it. Mm, XEVI. I'm not, man, this is going to kill me now. Yeah, it's, I never, could never remember those, so uh, I don't have that. Um, And then the two big ones that I highly recommend everybody suggests is ZSH syntax highlighting, which will give you, if you type a command like git space, it will turn it green. And if you like spell something that's not a command, um, it will turn it gold and red. So that tells you if, if what you're about to type is broken or not before you've actually run it. Uh, it says right here, fish shell like syntax highlighting. Feature parity here, trying to get to it. That's, yeah, that was the best. And uh, I also use ZSH auto suggestions, which um, if you type something, it will, it'll start to suggest what the last thing that you typed. So if I just type git, and then it will just like in like very faint letters, it'll, t- it'll say push, because that's the last like one that I use. <laughs> so big fan of that. Um, and also Z, um, Z is the thing that I used to jump to recent directories, frequent and recent. I use that like crazy. I recommend that's in my course as well. If anyone wants to get better at the command line. It's just the letter Z or Z. Yeah. Okay. So Americans out there, when Wes says Z, you do not type Z E D. You just type letter Z. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Just the, the Z keyboard type the Z key on your keyboard. Z key. Um, past that, that's, that's really all I, I use. Like I've got a couple little, I'm just looking here a little, like we talked about it on the past, uh, a past episode about what they are. I've, I use my cobalt two theme there, but past that, no, no, nothing, nothing else. Um, it's pretty out of the box. I'm surprised at how much is just good out of the box. It's great. And it's been great for so long. And I think in the uh, next, the next version of Mac OS Catalina wine mixer, it's going to have the uh, ZSH is the default shell. That's pretty sweet. Pretty sweet. So those of you <laughs> who aren't on it now, you're going to be on it soon. Let me tell you that. Uh, and let me tell you what also you'll be on. You'll be on Netlify because it is the easiest way to host your site absolutely anywhere. People always tell us this. I can't believe it took me this long to try out Netlify after Scott was talking about it so positively. I thought it must have been an ad read. No, it's not an ad read. I absolutely love Netlify. It is the perfect place to host any front end code. And let me tell you, uh, the experience could not be any better. You most likely, you got your code in a repo already. You just log in, you select the repo, you type in your build command, or even better, Netlify recognizes it, what kind of site it is and has the build command in there for you already, which is even easier. You click go and you automatically get insane features like a CDN and you get an SSL and you get continuous deployment without you having to do a darn thing. It is so stinking cool. And there is just nonstop addition to new features being added to Netlify every single day. So what we want you to do is head to netlify.com forward slash syntax and sign up. Let them know where you came and just tweet them out and say, hey, we heard about Netlify and syntax and we love it so, so much. So thank you to Netlify yeah. for sponsoring. When you tell our sponsors where you come from, they love that. They really do. Yes. <laughs> We've just had a whole bunch of calls. We just had a bunch of calls with sponsors for next year. And uh, they're like, man, your your audience is crazy. They always tell us they come and they, they want to make sure you get credit for it and everything like that. That's, that's awesome. We love that. We absolutely do. Thank you so much for that. All right. Next up, we have a question from Agnol, which is, I always get confused on when and how to use dot bind method. Any pointers on when I should use dot bind in what situations? Wes, you have a good amount of notes. Do you just want to rock through this one? You you wrote down a, a decent amount here. 
Sure. My answer here is methods or functions are often bound to an object. So uh, when you are inside of like a like a method, like let's say like dot log, log is a method that lives inside of console, console dot log. Um, and in order for console dot log to work, in order for the log method to work, it needs to know um, about what it was bound to, which in this case is console. Um, and the way that it references that is by using the, the this keyword. Now, sometimes you need to move a function into its own function, or if you you need to change how it works, but you still need it to be bound to that uh, that object, or you need a you need a method to be bound to something totally different. You you just want to use that same method, but change the context in which this is equal to. Um, and that's so that's the first way that you can use bind is is changing the the context in which it is run under. Um, and like a, a little a good example is um, if you want to make your own console log function, if you just say like const uh, L O double G Snoop D L O double G. If you open up your terminal right now and say const L O G G is equal to console.log and, and don't call it, but just reference it. So now you have a method called L O G G. And now if you try to run that, actually, I hope they didn't change this. Oh, they, they fixed it. Okay. This used to be the case where you couldn't bind uh, console.log to its own function. And if that was the case, you'd have to do console.log dot bind console and you'd have to change uh, make sure that it is bound to the actual function they've changed that since then so that's not a good example um so that's that's the first like, one here and, and the one that you're, you're you're asking about here which is i often see it in react yeah in react like an on click on something like that if you want to pass an argument on click um there's there's two options that we have because you can't call the function on click like you do in vanilla JavaScript, you just give it a reference to a function. But if that function needs to pass like an ID or any other arguments, you can't really do that, right? So your options are, you can either say like on click equals send user dot bind. And then the the first argument to dot bind is the context of this. Most people will just say dot null because it doesn't matter in, in React, React world. Uh, and then the subsequent arguments are when it gets called, these are the arguments that should be passed. Um, and then you are returned a new function that has sort of like sort of batteries included arguments. Now you have this brand new function that already has the arguments built into it. Uh, and then when you call it, it will know um, it will know what arguments to, to run at. So that's one option. Um, and then the other way that is pretty common in React world now is just to use an arrow function in line uh, where you just say on click equals and then you do that little arrow function, and then you call the function with the arguments that you want. I prefer that way just because it looks a little cleaner. Um, but in both cases, you are creating a brand new function, which is is what you're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Makes sense? Yeah, fantastic. All right. Next question we have from Brian, and he said pronounced Brian. Thank you, Brian. Uh <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> what are your suggestions for handing off client sites for freelance work? I don't take on many contracts and uh, I have another full-time jobs, but I'll take on one here or there during the summer to supplement a little bit. Quite honestly, I, I love that. I love that, that that's what you can do as a developer yeah. is you can take on a little extra work, make a little bit of uh, beer money or or Disneyland money or whatever it is that you're spending, vape money, whatever it is you're spending your money on, you can go no. ahead. Hopefully not vape money at this point. Uh, okay. big, big thing going on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Anyways, I'm finding it difficult to make a clean handoff when the project is finished. The contractual requirements are met. Um, and like anything, there are always tweaks to be made. I handle some minor deployment issues without billing, but I struggle where to draw the line. What are the suggestions that you have? That's a great question, because like when you're done, you're not always done. There's always stuff that comes back. And like, who are they going to ask? Well, the person that made it and the person that we paid to actually do it. So how do you do that? Usually what I'll do in this case is I will find somebody that I trust and say, I'm handing it off to this person right now. You can deal with them for anything going forward and know that like you have to pay them. Right. Um, And if it is if it is things like usually what I'll say is I will cover bugs by me, but I will not cover bugs that are that are introduced because of a third party, whether Mm -hmm. that's an upgraded CMS, whether that's uh, an API that's been deprecated. Like a a good example is anytime you work with Twitter, the API will change and things on your website might break or or a new Stripe API needs to be implemented. Um, So anything that is out of my control because they changed, you have to you have to do so many else. Those bugs are mine. Hopefully you don't have to do a whole lot, but but then set them up with somebody else because more often than not, they just rather go with somebody entirely going forward. So that's how I would do it. I would make myself available to the person that you pass it off to. um, And then uh, finding someone to pass it (laughs) off to is a whole nother problem because like finding a good, reputable freelancer who knows their stuff is hard. And that's why I always tell people like, honestly, if you're a good developer, you have good communication skills, you'll do super, super well as a freelancer. Yeah. There are, there's a lot of things here when you're handing it off to the client. Um, Some people... They'll they'll host it themselves. They'll have even like a oh don't do that yeah dedicated virtual and they'll they'll host all of their freelance client sites and they'll pay them for hosting. And you say don't do that, but that could be a really good income stream if you don't mind managing those servers and it's easy for you because the cost of running a virtual private server is like nothing. And if you charge you know eight bucks a month for a few clients to host or something, that's a nice little steady income stream. In addition to that. But again, it's more trouble than it might be worth. I've never done it personally. It I've never tried I've to done do it. it. You've done it. So <laughs> okay, you can just ignore everything I'm saying because no, I haven't I haven't done it personally. Well, some people like to do that, but honestly, when you like I have one client from like 10 years ago, I bought the domain for them. And I have to, every year I have to like uh, renew it or figure out yeah. how to transfer it and pay for their hosting and and when their email goes down, they email me and like, I'm like, your email is with Google. Yep. And but they're like, they don't understand that. And then like something changes like WordPress. They installed 400 WordPress plugins and it's broken now. And like, you're the point of contact. Right. Whereas like, that's why I like GoDaddy for that kind of thing. Like you hate GoDaddy all you want, but put your crappy clients on them because they GoDaddy will pick up the phone <laughs> and talk to non-technical people all day yeah. long about those kinds of problems. Yeah. And <laughs> Like you mentioned, like if you break something, like if the code was broken from, then you're 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 responsible to fix that stuff. If the the user comes in and, and breaks things, I think it's a it's important to let your client know, obviously, that here's what my expectations for this relationship are. I'm passing it off to you, and unless there's an emergency that I caused, then I won't be with able like to pick it up. And, and fix it for you within, you know, 48, whatever, 24 hours. And if you broke it yourself, then, I, you know, I'm certainly not going to be around to do that. So as long as those expectations are met, you know, maybe you can, like you mentioned, pass it off to another freelancer who can be there to support it. 
But in reality, I think it's just making those expectations clear because so many times you'll get a client who does that whole thing. I broke it, fix it for me. It's Sunday at 10 o'clock, drop what you're doing and fix it for you. So uh, be careful with what you promise. I found this aspect of things to be both hard and easy, depending on how you set the expectations between you and your client of what is, you know, what needs to be done. And if if they say, hey, I'm not exactly comfortable taking off the uh, life jacket to keep the boat metaphors going, I'm not exactly, you know, I'm not exactly comfortable taking off the life jacket that is of having a developer on call. Uh, what else can you do for me to make it more extra robust? Maybe you can pick up some extra hours at the end of a project there. Just really, really adding in some robustness to this library if it needs it, code, base, whatever. Um, so Sanity is a, it's going to be that that company and experience that's going to be extra robust for you. And it's unlike your own code, your own backend, it's not going to break because what Sanity is, it's, it's a backend for the front-end code that you are writing, and it is a really super cool backend. So I know, Wes, you have a lot of interesting things to talk about. Uh, so you want to pick this one up with Sanity? Yeah. So I, I was just going through some of the, the features on Sanity the other day. And one kind of thing I want to focus on. First of all, let me tell you real quickly, it's a it's a structured content CMS. So uh, you can code up your JavaScript file and then uh, deploy that or, or run your, your your sanity command and it will create um, based on the fields that you want and the types that you want and the relationships that you want. It'll create sort of a backend that you can then hit with your API and, and pull that into Gatsby or or Nuxt or Next or whatever it is that you're working with. And the thing that I want to focus on is this this asset pipeline, the image pipeline that they have. Um, so if you upload an image to like a typical like a WordPress or something like that, it will try to resize it into the the sizes that you've preset. Um, but with Sanity, what's cool about that is when you upload an image, of course, you can get all the different sizes that you want. You can also get the the base 64 version so you can blur it up, like kind of like how Gatsby does that. Uh, but the really cool thing is that when you upload the image, you can draw a little oval around the thing that is the focus mm-hmm. of the photo. And then when all of the different images are cropped, then they will all crop them based on that being the center of it. And I, I remember clients when I had WordPress, people were like, how do I get it to stop cropping people's faces out? And I was like, oh, there's no like thumbnail size crop. Like you could do top left, bottom right, top right. There's no like face crop, right? Um, and, and this is the case where you can just draw a quick little oval around the the thing of the image. And then all of your different sizes that are generated will all be centered on that one little piece that you have. So whether that's a face or whether that's like a phone or a piece of your product, it will look good in all of the different sizes. And that just comes with Sanity, right? That's not a plugin or anything like that that you need to have. That comes built into Sanity, which is pretty cool. You get all the different sizes, all the different compression that you need. So check it out, sanity.io forward slash syntax. And you're going to get double your free tier that normally that you normally get go and go to that also they have a whole bunch of examples using it with Gatsby and Next and Nuxt and that list is growing um, with all the different integrations that they have so check it out cool okay so this next question is from Brett Jolinski hey Jolinski Tolinski what's up my homie uh Brett Brett Jolinski Scott Tolinski I think it's a joke oh or real it's maybe a joke let's look it up Brat Jelinski, are you a real person? 
Are you? Uh, if, if this is a joke, I don't think this, Brad. I think most people give us fake names. Brad, if this is a joke, you people are always goofing. I don't think it's a real person. Uh, this oh, man, people are always goofing with us with on these names here. I don't like it. I don't like it one bit. Yeah, I don't think Brad is a name <laughs> at all. I just thought it was maybe some Polish name that I wasn't familiar with. Okay. Uh, okay, Brad, <laughs> whoever you are, I get it. This is a question for Wes. Oh, okay. Thank you. A double dosage, Brad. You're, you're really hammering me here. Uh, I live in West, or not West. I live in Central New York. And every time I go on the highway heading north or south, I see several Ontario license plates. Where are y'all going all the time? I don't think you're from New York, brat. You saying y'all? Typing y'all in here? <laughs> Is there a secret Canadian spot down here? Florida, comma, cheap beer, comma? This is a weird question, Brad. No, that's all right. That, that's my answer. I'm starting to put you're it done, in there. You're putting your questions in the answers. Man, this, this uh, all questions. Sorry, disaster. I need to type Wes in front that's of it. That's what you got to do. Um, well, Brad, if I have a sweet Canadian spy, I'm certainly not going to tell you after you just <laughs> double dosed Scott there. Um, but yes, us Canadians do like to go to the States um, because of the... Uh, first of all, Target. We we had Target. LaCroix. Yeah, La, La, we have LaCroix now, but they're they're unaffordable to most Canadians. Uh, so we get the what do we go down there for? We go there down there for Target, the LaCroix. We often will go to Myrtle Beach or Florida. Um, the beer is much cheaper down there. So a lot of people just go over for a couple of days. And after you've you've been there for 48 hours, you can take home seven hundred dollars worth of goods and yeah, just goods. <laughs> Um, so it's pretty, services. pretty awesome. And uh, you can't bring any services back. Often we'll go for less than 24 hours. And as long as you claim it to the border guard, we've found that about half the time they make you pay duty. So you can bring as much as you want. You just have to be very clear about how much you're bringing back and honest. And they will sometimes they'll make you pay duty and sometimes they won't. So that's where we're going. We're going down to take all of the, the good things about the states Without actually having to live yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, you get to go back to Canada with your health care and your, yeah. your polite manners and your thank yous and your sorries and all those things uh, that you have in Canada. People go down there for CAT scans all the time That's because fair. apparently for a couple hundred bucks, you can go get a CAT scan. And the, the line up in Canada is often months long. That's weird. Uh, yeah. That's yeah. Weird. Um, okay, next question from Matthew M. Hey, Wes and Scott. Each time I reopen hey. an old project, I lose so much time with NPM dependency being outdated, and it drives me mad. I'm starting to dislike NPM and everything around it, but is it only NPM? How do other languages like PHP, Python, or Go handle this mess of dependencies? Are we better today than yesterday, and am I complaining about nothing? Yeah, um, so the answer to this is lock files. Lock files lock down the versions to be exactly what you want to be. So that way, when you run npm install, it just looks at your lock file and gab grabs the correct versions that you're locked into. Lock files became a thing in npm in, oh, I don't know what version, but a couple of years ago. Yeah, a year, year and a half ago. Yeah, Yarn added lock files, which have been a thing in other languages for a long time. So Yarn added lock files, and then because of that, NPM added lock files just about really soon after that. And uh, I, I'm pretty sure I'm right on that timeline. I could be wrong, so shout out me out if I'm, I'm wrong about that. But uh, really what the lock file does, like I mentioned, is it keeps your versions correct. But also, if your application is working, 
right? If that's not the problem, the, the problem is, is that all of a sudden your, your dependencies themselves are now have different versions or whatever. There's no reason you have to update that stuff unless there's security vulnerabilities or anything. Now, I personally run Yarn Upgrade Interactive all the time, like every other week, just because when you upgrade constantly and consistently, it becomes a tiny little, you know, a tiny little one hour project rather than a, you know, 10 hour long slog of, you know, having to fix a billion different things with your, you know, tests and all that stuff. So I personally am constantly updating my stuff. But if it's a project I haven't touched for a long time, I don't, I don't even bother updating the, the packages unless, of course, there are security vulnerabilities that I have to worry about because you don't have to upgrade that stuff as long as it works. It worked then. It should work now. And as long as your uh, lock files there and dependencies are all, all, all where it's at, I don't necessarily have this issue or I don't necessarily understand exactly what the issue is. Am I missing something here that you're reading into this? Yeah, I think I think part of it is around like, you you leave a project for a month and you come back and you npm install and it's like well there's 40 deprecated packages and 800 security vulnerabilities and and if you see that it's hard to just ignore it and be like well I'm happy with like what what's working for me right now but if it's i guess if it's vulnerabilities it's one thing but i don't know yeah but that that's the other thing is like these vulnerabilities if you, every time i have a vulnerability which is every single package every day <laughs> i look into it and it's like oh that's actually not affecting me at all and that's a huge frustration for me and in all of my courses as well because you you ship a course and 3 days later this it, the the pace at which javascript is moving right now is incredible and that's great for progress in the industry and things being new features and and things being better than they used to be but that's it's a downside to people who are like Ugh, just let me do my work. Mm -hmm. I can't like, I can't hold my breath. I don't think that um, PHP, Python, Go, I don't think they're as bad as it because of, uh, well, first of all, like JavaScript has no standard lib. So everybody is reaching for all these utility packages, which are constantly being updated. So that's that's a huge, huge thing right there. Um, and also NPM is very much around small things that do one thing well. So that's the reason why we have so many packages when you install something. So are you complaining about it? Yeah, it's, it's frustrating to everybody, I think. Yeah, you're not complaining about nothing, but also it's just like, I think that's part of our, I think it's currently just part of being a, a JavaScript developer. And it is a reason why people don't like JavaScript and they move to to other languages because it's it's all thrashing way too quickly. So yeah, I, I think just either just learn to to deal with it or like what I do is I just YOLO update where like- Dude, I YOLO, yeah. Oh man, we should make a- like a like a, a bash command or something just called YOLO update where you just blow it away. Who cares? Major versions, minor versions, update everything. Well, OK, so this is what I do. I, I use Yarn personally just because I like it. And I, I run Yarn upgrade hyphen interactive hyphen hyphen latest once a week. And now there's some packages like date FNS I've been putting off updating to the latest version because I've heard there are I know there are breaking changes based on Semver, but I've heard there are modifications that go beyond something I have to, uh, I actually have to spend some time diving into seeing what those are. No, I haven't looked into that. But uh, to be honest, if you run your update stuff often enough and you YOLO update to the latest versions and you have good tests, which I use end-to-end -end testings with Cypress, I have React testing, library unit tests, as long as you have good tests, 
you should be able to quickly determine if things broke. And chances are, unless the package maintainer is sort of reckless, things aren't going to break insanely amount. And if they are, uh, the cool thing about that upgrade interactive is it shows you in red, which are major version changes and which are not, which ones you should be expecting. And maybe you want to do some research. Like if there's a huge React router update, which changes the way that React router works entirely or something, you know, you can put that off until you have the time to do it. I I, I really like updating uh, frequently and often just to avoid the big headaches down the line somewhere else. Okay, last question here is from Sean. Do you want to take this one? Sorry, I've taken like several in a row, I think. Yeah, I didn't. I fell asleep in a rest area and subconsciously listened to three of your episodes which podcast player do you use, Android, PC, or other, and why? Where do you listen to them in the office, on the road, at church, or PTO meeting? So I listen, I use Overcast, which is a, only an iOS app. Is it? Um, big fan of it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's Marco Arment, who's like Apple fanboy, so he just, just focuses on iOS. Big fan of that. Um, why do I use that? Because it's good. Um, <laughs> I like it. Where do I listen to them? I listen to podcasts at the gym, uh, when I'm walking somewhere, when I'm driving, and usually uh, as I'm falling asleep, I'll, I'll listen to a little, like a short one. Mm. Like a, I listen to like Planet Money, The Indicator. It's usually 10, 15 minutes. Dude, that's a good podcast. Yeah, and there, it's daily. So, and it's just enough because I'll fall asleep and I fall asleep super quick. So usually within 10, 15 minutes, I fall asleep and then you don't wake up at like 3 a.m. with like Joe Rogan talking about taking <laughs> mushrooms in your ear or something like that. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, dude, the indicator, I've been really love it. There was an episode on like probiotics recently that was really good. Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I've been a big fan of the indicator. Uh, so I use Pocket Casts, which has been my podcasting app for a very long time. I've used several on Android, but Pocket Casts is cross-platform and and browser. It's very good. Uh, has a lot of great gesture support. When the new version launched, there was like, uh, I think a little bit of blowback that they like made it to be gesture based, but to be honest, it's been awesome. Once you learn and get used to the little, um, little niceties about it, it just keeps getting better and better. I love the sort of visual aesthetic of this app. So I'm a huge fan of pocket casts, uh, again, iOS and Android. And, uh, this other part also, I don't understand how falling asleep in a rest area, uh, correlates to the rest of this question, but, um, yeah, it's <laughs> I feel like that's kind of dangerous. I don't know about you. At least it is probably in the States when you're at a rest area. Those aren't necessarily the coolest places to hang out. Okay. Where do you listen to them? In the office, on the road? I listen to them. Uh, I listen to them in the car when I drop my kids off at daycare. Of course, I have to, ha this is where I get to listen to the like Planet Money indicator in um, some of my hockey podcasts. Some of them I don't listen to, but I have a select bunch of podcasts that I only listen to in the morning when I'm dropping my kids off because they are the ones without the F-bombs dropped in them. So we got to make sure, you know, I got little ears listening. That's it. I listen at pretty high speed. So I don't think Landon's really picking up too much, but never always safe and sorry. And then uh, I also listen to them in my office. I have a, a a Gorgle home sitting on my desk here that I can, you know, Chromecast to. I have. Do you, you listen to them while you're coding? Depends on what it is. I listen to a lot of comedy uh, podcasts yeah. and those aren't like ones I really have to pay attention to. They're just jokes here and there and whatever. They're just mm. little goofy things. And so some of that stuff, or I listen to like eight hockey podcasts. So, so if I've heard like the same <laughs> storylines on like five or six hockey podcasts by like the seventh or eighth one comes around, like 
if I like, can I listen to the Detroit Red Wings winged wheel podcast while I code? Absolutely. I don't really need to know that much. I'm, I'm a Red Wings fan, but I'm not a huge Red Wings fan. So uh, they're like my second team. They're not even my first team. And I listen to their podcast. So uh, I also listen to them in the gym. I, uh, I put a, I have a Bluetooth speaker out there. I also have a, a Gorgle home out there. I will uh, put it on. And, uh, I think that's, I mean, I listen to them all over the, like if I'm mowing the lawn, I have my Sony Bluetooth headphones on, I'll just pop those on. And, uh, I just listen to them all the time. I don't know. No, I listen to podcasts pretty much all the time, 24 seven. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Big fan. All right, let's move into some sick picks. These are the times that we pick things that are sick. I've got a new one, and I've talked about it a little bit here and there, but I was gifted this Garmin Vivo Active 3, which is like a like a smartwatch, right? And I've never in my life worn watches. Well, I mean, here and there when I was a kid, but I never wear a watch. And someone got it for me as a gift. I was like, all right, I'll give it a, I'll give it a shot. I've always been kind of interested in like, this smartwatch, I always thought it was kind of silly to have like, you need another thing telling you when you have notifications. Mm -hmm. So I threw it on and I love it. It's, it's amazing. <laughs> like you, you, you getting notifications on your wrist, by the way, I'm super aggressive with notifications. Yes. So I don't get a lot of notifications on my phone. Like I don't have any Twitter or Facebook notifications, Instagram notifications, all of those are off. So if I do get a notification, it's something that's somewhat important. So it's cool because you can clear the notification right from your your watch so you don't have to take the phone out of your pocket or uh like there's just so many situations where you can clear it get it off your plate and you know that that's done um and then the other kind of thing about it is that it's a whole fitness watch so i take it running i go to the gym with it i've been checking my heart rate uh, it tells you how many stairs you have which having a newborn baby we do like 40 stairs a day. It's going up and down, up and down, up and down. Mm -hmm. um, and the battery lasts like three, three and a half days on this thing. Yeah, that's, that's good. And it's it's about half the cost of an Apple Watch. So I, I'm thinking, I'm telling myself, if I still like having a smartwatch in like six months or something, I'm probably going to go and buy an Apple Watch because I would like to be able to like reply to texts from it. I don't know if that's possible on the Apple Watch or not, but I'm sure. Yeah, it was possible on my Android watch from like seven years ago. So I'm sure Apple's. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they're getting up there. Yeah. So I, I think it's like a nice entry level uh, fitness watch. And uh, I like it. The Garmin Vivo Active 3. Yeah, that's a whole thing for me, too. You know, I mentioned like. Getting the iPhone was largely because of the camera. But again, it's because there's no Android wearable story. Like the Android ones are sort of at the mercy of the processor. We're like Apple's creating their own processor. So the, the reason why there's no Pixel watch is because everybody knows that the processor is limiting it and it's only going to be so good. So the last thing that Google oh, wants. Really? Yeah. Because Apple can create their own. So the the Pixel watch can't be any better than the Fossil watch that Fossil is putting out unless uh, Google gets into the game of creating their own processors. So, uh. yeah, so that's the whole rub. And that's the main reason there there's an, a report that came out that there's been a Pixel watch in development for like the past three or four years. And every time it comes near the time to launch it, they're just like, it's not good enough. Like this is going to hurt the brand because it's not it's not at the same level as the Apple Watch because it can't be. So that to me was like a huge thing is that the Apple Watch is so good that it's really enticed me to be like, hmm, maybe I can, uh, you know, 
great and bear with iOS just to be able to have something like the iOS or the Apple Watch or something. So, yeah. Okay. So my sick pick for today is Untitled Goose Game. <laughs> so I occasionally uh, sick pick video games on this. And this game is just, and I've always been a fan of games like this. I was a fan of, uh, there's a game called Katamari Damacy where you roll a thing and, and you just, you pick up things and they slowly get bigger and bigger and bigger. It's a really beautiful game. This game it's kind of the same way. It's very chill. It's very, uh, it's very fun. You play as a goose. It has this really minimalist, like low color art palette where it's, it's 3d, but it's all very shaded color. It looks illustrated and you play as a goose and you really are just causing havoc. You can honk at people. You can go honk, honk, and you can... Uh, sounds like Canada geese here in Canada. It is very, it sounds like Canadian geese. It's a white goose with uh, with orange feet, and you just waddle around. There's a button that makes you open your wings, uh, and you pick stuff up, and you just cause general chaos. Like, I untied a little boy's shoes, and then I stole his glasses while he was bending down to tie his shoes. And then I gave him some other glasses that weren't his and he was pretty upset. So like that is the the premise of the game is you're just causing mischief and you have these like little tasks. It will be like, get the farmer to switch his hat. So you have to find some way to steal the farmer's hat. And you really get in the mind of a a mischief causing goof goose where you're just sitting there and you're like, Hmm, what can I do to get this farmer to take off his hat? (laughs) And then you steal his hat. It's a lot of fun. I was having a blast with this game. And uh, it's so dang cute that you just you just absolutely love causing mischief as this goose. I had a great time. There was this old lady uh, coming at me with a broom and I was just honking at her. I was flapping my wings and honking at her and I couldn't do anything. She had a broom, but it was just honk, honk, honk. And like that to me is what playing video games is all about. I had a great time. <laughs> it's not about shooting people or that kind of stuff. It's about honking and an old lady with a broom. Uh, I'm a big fan. So this Untitled Goose game, check it out. I'm playing it on the Nintendo Switch. I'm not sure what other platforms it's available for, but uh, big fan. So uh, shameless plugs. Got anything to plug? I'm going to plug. Let's do so. I'm going to plug my Instagram. Uh, I've been loving Instagram the last, like, I don't know, year or so. IG11. Yeah. And uh, it's just a good spot. Good spot to to share what's going on in my life. I've been sharing stuff that's like coding, obviously, but a a lot more not coding, cooking, fixing random stuff around the house, juicing up my kids, uh, Power Wheels toys, all kinds of fun stuff like that. I'm loving the Power Wheels toy stuff. Yeah. And it's I feel like it's such a it's just an easy way. Uh, I don't know if it's because I have so many followers on Twitter that like whenever I post something to Twitter, I have to think about it and have to like get ready for all the idiots that reply with all their stupid replies and everything like that on Twitter or on on Instagram. I just like post anything I want. And like I I posted last night, it's like I got this new starter jacket that has like Boston Red Sox logo on it. Oh, yeah. And uh, I I put on it like I heard you're a big Red Sox. You're a big Red Sox head. (laughs) As everybody I I put on, like, don't talk to me about sports (laughs) um, because I don't actually know anything about it. But and then I I, I said, I don't know anything about football. And the amount of people that thought I was serious. (laughs) That's a good that's a good one. I'm not that dumb. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. I'm at West Boss, W-E-S-B-O-S on Instagram. Cool, man. Uh, I'm going to plug my latest course, which is Svelte for Beginners. Now, if you don't know about Svelte, this is the perfect time to check it out because we go over all sorts of cool stuff. We build a quiz that has animations. It works with an API. 
Uh, we talk about what happens when you build a site in Svelte, which is different from what happens when you build a site in other platforms. And it is just so dang fast, fantastic. The little amount of code you have to write to do anything cool in Svelte. So check it out at leveluptutorials.com forward slash pro. Sign up for the year and save 25%. Uh, check it out. Svelte 3, or I guess it's just called Svelte for beginners, but it's on Svelte 3. Big fan of that one. So check it out. All right. Thanks so much for tuning in and uh, we will catch you on Monday. Flip it up. Get you there. Peace. Peace. Head on over to syntax.fm for a full archive of all of our shows. And don't forget to subscribe in your podcast player or drop a review if you like this show.